Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Eastside. Uh, we're going to get Romans 6 this morning, so if you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. I got the call last night from Eric. Uh, he is sick and down with the flu. Uh, so you can be praying for him. Uh, he sounded pretty gnarly, and I uh, pray that he can heal up and get better. You can also be praying for me. Uh, he asked me to preach this morning, last night. Right? So uh, the meal this morning is going to be a little more microwave than crock pot, right? <laughs> kind of the, the quick heat up versus the long, slow simmer. Uh, and you can also pray for yourself because you got to eat it, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we are going to be talking about freedom this morning. Romans 6, it's a passage centered around freedom. And what is true freedom? Now, I suggest to you that uh, today, America, you know, America, our country values freedom. So uh, we have the Declaration of Independence is one of our founding documents, independence from Britain and freedom from uh, tyranny there. Uh, we have famous songs about the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? Uh, proud to be American where at least I know I'm free, right? All right, so we know America values freedom. We know uh, God values freedom, right? God is a God who frees the slaves, who sets the captives free. Uh, Exodus, one of the foundational stories of the Old Testament, is a God who liberates his people from slavery, who identifies himself with the exploited and the outcast, and says, this is who I am to the world by liberating them from their bondage. Read in the New Testament that uh, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The Gospel tells us it is for freedom that Christ has set you and I free. So we know that God values freedom, uh, but are the two definitions that we have as freedom the same? Is kind of the American definition and the God definition the same? And I would suggest there's important and strong overlap, right? Like I've worked around the world and I am very grateful for many of the rights and freedoms, for many of the uh, checks and balances and various things that we have in our society that uh, there are wonderful things that I am truly grateful for as a citizen of this country. And yet I would also suggest to you there are some points of contrast. There are some ways that I believe God's definition of freedom runs into tension with our tendencies as Americans and our definition of freedom. That we tend to think of freedom ultimately as a freedom to do what I want. A freedom to live life under my own terms. And this is the foundational tension that Paul's going to set up here in this passage today is going, okay, well, if we've been set free, does that mean I'm free to sin, to just kind of do what I want, to go my own way? And he's going to give us a counter-cultural definition of freedom, one that I think is maybe counterintuitive to us today in many ways, but it is ultimately a true path to freedom. So this morning, I want to give you uh, three steps from Romans 6 on how to find true freedom. And it's not the way you'd expect. The title for the message this morning is, Your Funeral Was Your Freedom. What? Your funeral. What is right, right? <laughs> it's probably, exactly. That's probably not where we usually think we're going to go to find freedom. That's exactly where Paul goes, and that's where we're going today. All right. So Romans 6, let's dive in. <clears throat> what should we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. All right, so step number one, Paul tells us here, the first step to finding true freedom is to attend your own funeral. Because there's this reality, that the tension that's set up at the beginning is, man, you're saying, hey, so if we've been set free, then should we just keep on sinning so that grace might increase? And Paul's like, that's ridiculous. Like, that's dumb, right? Like, that's not freedom, that's free dumb, right? That's <laughs> a dumb way to run after your freedom. That would be like, dude, I racked up $10,000 in just stupid credit card debt. It wasn't wise, you know, it wasn't really needed. I just kind of foolishly spent it on myself, and then you're stuck in this place, and the debt's mounting, and the creditors are coming, and, uh, and a friend steps in and goes, you know what? Like, I'm going to write you a check, and I'm going to cover that 10 grand. You're like, dude, oh, thank you. That's so awesome. Um, your grace, I haven't seen your, the goodness of your grace by covering the amount of my debt. So now I'm going to go rack up $100,000 in more debt, right? I think your friend would be like, no, dude, like you're missing the heart behind this thing. Uh, and the backdrop is Paul's going in Romans 5 and before, it's going, man, as sin got bigger and bigger and bigger, God's grace just got bigger and bigger and bigger to meet it, right? But he's going, you're off if you're thinking, well, then I should just make the sin as big as possible to make the grace as big as possible. That's like going, man, I should just make the, the credit card debt as big as possible, make the expenses I rack up and whatever else that are unnecessary and foolish as big as possible. God, just so you can show how generous you are and still forgive me. And God's going, stop running that way and run to me. Like, run into me. Let's, let's step into life together rather than you racking up all this debt and distance from me. Because the end game, the point, is relationship, communion with me. And so Paul goes, the way that we start to step into that is to recognize that who you were has been buried with Christ in death. Has been united with him in death. And he uses the image of baptism here. He's going, Your baptism was your funeral. Like, your baptism was your funeral. What is baptism? We, we often are confused about it today. We often think, Oh, you know, taking a swim. I don't know, like going, going for It's hot outside. We go for a dip in the pool. No. Like swimming, but baptism is different. It's a different picture, right? It's a picture of Christ who went under into the grave, who died and was buried to be united with us in the ultimate point of our selfishness and sin and shame and destruction and death. Jesus unites himself with us in death and then is raised up out from the chaos, out from the grave, out from the waters into the freshness of new life, the sunshine and the air. Right. So baptism is a picture of Christ's death and resurrection And as we are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, it's a picture of us being united with Jesus, going, Jesus, I'm going under with you. Like, I am dying to myself, 
going down under the water, in order that I might be raised with you and in you into your new life. When you were baptized, Paul says, you were united with him in death and you died to your sin in order to be raised into new life. Now, this is counterintuitive, I think, to how many of us, we, we tend to think of the gospel, right? Like there's this author, a guy, Robert Farrar Capone, and he uh, uses this analogy. He's like, man, the way we often think of the gospel is it's kind of like I'm out at the beach, I'm out in the ocean, and I'm going for a swim, and there's like, you know, hundreds of people on the beach, and they're all chilling out, and suddenly, like, man, I get, the waters get treacherous, get tense, and I'm in trouble. You know, I, I'm starting to feel scared and nervous, and it looks like I'm going down, and we tend to think of the gospel is that Jesus is like the lifeguard. He runs out like David Hasselhoff in Baywatch, you know, with his lifeguard buoy, and he jumps in, and he swims out, and he grabs us, it's going to be okay, and he pulls you to the shore. And Capone goes, that, that makes sense, that's the way we would think of it. But he's like, that's not actually the gospel. What the gospel is, is that Jesus is a lifeguard who runs out, jumps into the water, gets out to you, and reaches you and grabs hold of you, and you're like, yes, finally. And then he drowns with you together, right? And Capone's like, in the gospel, Jesus dies, you die, lifeguards in, everyone on the beach, like everyone's going down. And the way that Jesus rescues us isn't by so much getting us immediately out of the water, but by going down with us in his perfect, sinless salvific life as our Savior, in order that with him we might be raised from him. Jesus doesn't conquer the grave by avoiding it. He conquers it by going through it. Similarly for you and I, the good news is not that Jesus died so that you don't have to. The good news is that Jesus died so that you can die with him and be confident that he's pulling you up through the other side. Paul says that the starting point for us is to recognize that there is a dying to our selfishness, our life live on our own terms that has to take place, and all that's represented in baptism. As uh, my friend Michelle Jones, who was here preaching last week, as she told me once, the spiritual formation is as much about dying to who you are as it is living unto who he is. And so one of the questions I think we have for us this morning is, what do you need to die to? Like, in order to enter into true true freedom, what is it that you need to let go of? That you, together with Jesus, need to submerge beneath the waters and rise up, released from? It could be that that guy or that gal that you're hung up on and just go, man, when, God, when you bring them into my life, when, when, I, when I get them, if, if, when that relationship happens, that's when life will truly start. You know if you're in that spot that that person has become an idol, right? It could be your concern over what people think of you, the need for affirmation going, man, when people recognize me, when they uh, affirm me or tell me I'm good enough, when they uh, like my posts or heart my pictures or when I get that sense of validation, like then I will have made it. Some of us this morning might need to die to our need for the approval of others. For some of us, we might need to die to that ship that we've been holding against God, going, God, until you fix this, this part of my life or this part of our world, like, I, I just can't fully trust you until this all gets resolved. 
I believe God's going, man, I, I, I got it. I got it under control, and it's going to get fixed. But what he's calling us to right now is trust. Trust him. For some, we might need to die to, it's that question, maybe it's that question we're holding over God's head and just going, all right, God, like, I, I can't grow until I know, until I know the answer. I can't sink in deeper into life with you. And God's going, man, step in and trust. Like that lifeguard going, trust me, I'm going to pull you down together, but you got to trust me that I'm bringing you up on the other side. It's not saying we don't have questions. It's not saying relationships aren't good. It's not saying we're not made for validation, affirmation in the arms of God. But it's going, we die to putting those things up and over God in order that we could be bound in union with him. Paul says the starting point to finding true freedom is attending your own funeral. If sin looks like freedom, if running after things that God doesn't want for you, if that looks like freedom, Paul's going, you you got to step over, take a look in that casket of your old self and go, you've died to that. He's calling you into a new place of life that's found in him. And the reality is that dying is scary, right? Like dying to ourself is scary. I think of a friend of mine who, when we were in uh, high school and she was out swimming, and a scenario like that happened where uh, she got kind of sucked out into the water a little ways. Another friend of mine who was a good swimmer, like, got out and got to her and was trying to help her, and they were both kind of out there. Uh, but the reality is she started thrashing and screaming, and he's like, dude, it's going to be okay, but if you get calm, right? If you trust me, if you're thrashing, you're going to pull me down with you. And I think you and I are often like that, like when we, that thing that we're clinging to or holding on to, and it feels like it might be, God might be pulling that out of our grip, we can start thrashing and kicking and screaming, going, God, I can't let go of that. I need that to survive. And really, Jesus is going, do you trust me to pull that old self under and raise you anew? And I want to nuance this, too, because I know that for some of us, I've talked with a number of us over the years who, uh, man, have wrestled with feelings of feeling suicidal, or the reality is depression is real and anxiety is real, and I don't want, to, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying wrong when we talk about dying to yourself. Uh, it's not saying that you don't have dignity or you don't have value. It's, it's the opposite. For some of us, I think what we might need to die to is the lies. Right? Some of us... You might, you might be under that lie that says that you're not loved, that you're not worthy, that you're not worth fighting for. And Jesus wants to submerge that lie in order to raise you into the truth that he's, he says you're worth fighting for. He says you were worth it. Like he went all the way. You are worth giving it all for, and you are loved. So when we talk about dying to yourself, it's not the self-deprecating, degrading, i got to shove myself into the ground. What we're dying, when we talk about dying to yourself, it's dying to yourself that's trying to live independently from God in order to be raised into a life that's lived in union with God. I had a guy this week going, man, wait, it, sometimes I struggle with that language of uh, depending on God because it just feels like um, it makes me nothing. Or whatever. And I was like, well, maybe think of it like the way you depend on food, Right? Like when you take food into yourself, it, 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 uh, it doesn't minimize who you are. It brings out the fullness of who you were made to be. 
And similarly, when you depend on God, it's not so much that it lessens your image-bearing, created by God with dignity self, it brings that out in fullness. But to enter into the fullness of our true humanity, to be animated by the life-giving spirit of God, means to put to death our old self that's tried to live on our own terms apart from God. That's what attending our funeral is about, is recognizing the old self that has been buried with Christ and living into the new self that is raised with him. All right, let's keep going into verse 8. Paul goes on, he says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? All right, Paul says here that Jesus died to sin once for all, and the life he lives, he lives to God. And so if you're in him, if you're in the body of Christ, that's where your true freedom is found. So Paul's going, step one, if you want to find true freedom, you've got to die to that old self that was living for yourself apart from God. Step two says you've got to become an organ donor. And here's what I mean, become an organ donor. Uh, you got to be placed in Christ's body, right? Like as a part, as a piece, as a member, as an organ within the life-giving body of Jesus. You have to donate yourself into the life-giving body of Jesus. And Paul says here, the reality is when you were baptized, when you came up out of the water, you weren't just raised into solitary confinement or isolation. You were raised into the presence of Jesus, into the life of Jesus. You were raised into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And dwelt by God's Spirit, united with Jesus, brought into the home of the Father. You were raised into the body of Christ, the people of God. And Paul is continuing from the last chapter where he talked about, um, man, as in Adam all die, so now in Christ all will be made alive. And we think of Adam as just like some dude, right? But in the, in the b- biblical idea, the sense was like Adam is also this word for like corporate humanity. That Adam was not just some lone, solitary individual. Adam was a representative, and to be in Adam was to be in the Adam, the human race, the humanity. And I think Paul's got this vision that's almost like he's looking at, if you think of Adam in the casket, as not just this one guy, but Adam is the human social body under the power of sin. And Paul's going, you, when you died with Christ, you've been plucked out of the old Adam, the body of Adam, the social body of dying and dead humanity, and you've been transplanted and brought into the body of Jesus, the life of Christ. When you were baptized, you were brought out of Adam and into Jesus, out of death and into life, out of sin and into righteousness, out of that old casket and into the fullness of life with God. 
Adam, his body, and uh, our kind of sinful humanity, it led to the division of the nations and the fracturing of humanity. But now in Jesus, he's pulling it back together with God's, the very life of God. He's uniting humanity, reconciling us in him. And so when I think of, uh, you know, baptism, so your baptism was an organ transplant, right? Where you were the organ that got placed plucked out of the body of death and into the body of Christ. So I have a friend who years ago, about two, three years ago, she uh, received a kidney transplant. And the challenge was she was facing, uh, you know, uh, she was facing years on dialysis. Her kidneys were bad. She needed a transplant. And her husband had wanted to give her uh, his kidney. Uh, her friends, a few friends had tried to give her their kidneys. Uh, but none of them matched. Like the blood type and everything didn't match up. And so she was kind of going through the process of, of coming to grips with, um, Man, this just might be life for the next few decades or, you know. And, uh, and so they were on this waiting list, but there's so many factors on this waiting list. And then after a few months, one night they got the call. And what had happened was someone had been uh, in a car accident. So it was tragic. It was unfortunate. Uh, but the kidney was good, so it was placed on ice and being transported. So they got the call and had to rush right to the surgery, go under with anesthesia, get ready for that new kidney to go into her body. And if you can imagine for a minute, um, pretend that, like, you, you were that kidney, right? Like, you're kind of in this scenario where you're going, all right, I'm losing life support here. Like, things are not looking good. It's really cold. It's, what's going on, right? And then suddenly, like, you kind of maybe go to sleep or you wake up and, like, Dude, I'm getting blood, oxygen, all that is pumping through again. I've been reintegrated. I'm experiencing life again. That's a picture of what you and I experience in Christ. Like, like you and I, you are the kidney. Right? Your baptism was an organ transplant, Paul's saying, where God, like a great physician, a divine doctor, he pulled you out of that body of death, and he's pulled you into Jesus's body that brings life. A few differences, though, uh, in this image that Paul gives us, is that the reason you're transplanted, it's it's not because Jesus needs you, right? Like, Jesus's kidneys are fine. Like, like, unlike my friend, he's not like, ah, my Jesus is not like, ah, I need a, I need a, I need a new kneecap or a bad toe, and like I'm going to wait until someone's available. Like, no, Jesus' body is fine, but he has made space for you. It's a part of the hospitality of the life of God, going, I'm making space for you. It's you and I who were unable to exist on our own. We were trying to exist independently, and we thought, hey, freedom is if I live on my own apart from God, and we found that's a way that leads to death. And God's going, true freedom is being reintegrated, placed back into my body of life. True freedom is being transplanted out of your independence and planted into interdependence within the very life of God. Another distinction, you know, if, uh, well, if you're that kidney, you're not like kind of getting in and going, hey, look what I did. I got myself back up a lot, right? No, you're not going, hey, look what I accomplished. You're going, man, look what I'm a part of. 
look what I've been brought into. It's really great in here. <laughs> right? Like, and similarly for us, the reality of our freedom is that we've been brought into union with the life of God. We've been grafted in to Jesus' life. And what that should lead us to is not a place of going, hey, man, look what I accomplished. It should lead us to a place of going, oh, my gosh, look at the story I've been brought into. Look at the body I've become a part of. Look at the Savior who has grafted me into himself and called me his own. The response to this freedom is worship. It's worship the greatness of our Savior. And what it reveals to us is that your true freedom is found not in what you do, but in whose you are. Like your true freedom is found not in what you do, but in whose you are, who you belong to. That you and I, in Christ, we belong not to ourselves, we belong to the creator of the universe. I love Psalm 119, 45. Psalmist says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. He sees the ways of God as leading to a true freedom. So I think there are two kinds of oppression, right? There is like a, an external oppression that we're very familiar with, and there is an internal oppression that we do to ourselves. Uh, Neil Postman is a journalist, and he made an observation back in the day going, you know, hey, there's really two forms of tyranny. And he looked at uh, George Orwell's famous book, 1984, and Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, as two examples of each of the forms of tyranny. And so he's like, 1984, this is really uh, Big Brother, uh, a suppressive, tyrannical society. Uh, the, the, the government or the society is trying to like, control everything you do, and this is sort of like Pharaoh Egypt oppression outside in. And that's really bad and ugly, right? He was Aldous Huxley's vision, and, and he was kind of critiquing maybe like communist societies and things that were going that, that direction of just strong external social control. He was Aldous Huxley, it was this other vision. It was this vision of tyranny where everyone gets to do what they want. Everybody gets uh, as much food as they want, as much sex as they want, as much whatever they want, and the tyranny was what we do to ourselves. And looking after the Cold War, he was kind of going, Huxley's vision won. Right? Like Both are oppressive, and there's some ways that this one might be worse, the Big Brother one, but he's like, the reality is we live in a world under the tyranny of ourselves, the enslavement to our own desire. And Jesus says that true freedom is found not in living for oneself. He knows the deepest thing that you and I need to be freed from is from yourself, to be brought into life with him. All right, so... Uh, Become an organ donor. Get yourself transplanted into the body of Christ, right? And now the third, let's move to uh, the, the ending of this passage. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? 
Those things result in death. All right, well, as Paul wraps up here, this whole passage is loaded with Exodus imagery. And so there's this imagery of, uh, of baptism and out of slavery and, and, and all that. And if we step back to look at that imagery, like when you think about the Exodus uh, in the Old Testament, you've got God's people, they are enslaved under the oppressive power of Pharaoh and of Egypt. And it's like 1984, it's big brother, it's, it's control, it's every action is controlled and it's brutal. And God tears down Egypt, he liberates his people, and he baptizes them. He brings them through the Red Sea. And Israel saw that, they call it, that was their baptism, where they came out of the land of death and were brought into and towards the promised land, the land of life. And yet, God only know, not only freed them from Pharaoh, he freed them to himself. He brought them out to himself. And so one of the phrases here in this passage that can be difficult for us today is when Paul says that we have, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we have become slaves of God. And that language can be hard for us today, I think, at first glance, because we have a lot of associations with that. Um, first, he's not talking about uh, you know, chattel slavery that, that our imagination has been uh, more familiar with from the horrors of kind of what, what happened here in America and the West. Uh, and he is not talking about like God's like cracking the whip, like do more, work harder, right? Like those are a lot of our associations. Uh, but what he's talking about is that we have to be bound to something, right? We were bound to Pharaoh. We want to be bound to ourselves. But God goes, your true freedom is going to be found in being bound and united to life with me. So it's interesting in the Exodus narratives uh, that when uh, the same language is used that Israel used to serve Pharaoh is now used, now Israel is called to serve God. It's priestly language. And one of the things that's shocking is the language of serving God is actually used more times in Exodus for God than serving for Pharaoh was used of Pharaoh. So there's this emphasis that true freedom is found in serving God and being united to him to being bound up in life with the creator of the universe and administering his reign in the world through life with him. This is where true life and freedom is found more than living for ourselves. And I think this can make us skittish at first, right? Like the idea of uh, submitting my life to the reign and rule and kingdom of God. Have you ever talked to someone coming out of an abusive relationship, right? Like when they're coming out of an abusive relationship and entering into maybe a healthy, good one, even though it may be healthy and good, we're often skittish at first, right? Like there's the fear of getting vulnerable because you've learned, man, I'm just going to get wounded again. I don't want to get hurt again. So it can be hard to get vulnerable. One can even like act out and lash out at this person who's just stable, present there for them because of these wounds from their past. And when you're coming out of a bad relationship, you often your first vision of freedom is independence, right? Like I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want to go back to tyranny. I don't want to go back there. And so what I just want is independence. I want to be my own person, off on my own, doing my own thing. But God knows, like, what you really need is interdependence, right? If you really want to experience the love that you were made for, the communion with me that you were made for, it means entering into this interdependent relationship where God calls you into life with himself. 
this is like the reality of marriage. Like where in marriage, I would say, I am not my own. You know, we are not our own. We belong to each other. God has given himself to us. As I belong to you in Christ now, and we in Christ belong to God and offer ourselves back up to God. I love the saying, uh, it took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt, and it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Right? Like often when we're coming out of scenarios of, of, of being, uh, man, just having gnarly experiences with people or society with God, we become skittish, and we don't want uh, anything to do with placing ourselves under the reign of God. And the good news is that God is patient with us. And he's going to give time to form you and to pour into you. And even when you act out, lash out, he's going to be present and stable and with you. But his goal for your freedom is not your independence. It's your interdependence in life with him. Because the reality is you and I, we cannot be free on our own. If our freedom is to be a true freedom, the freedom of love and not just independence, we cannot be free on our own. To live on your own is simply another form of slavery. To live under your own autonomy and rule is a slavery in which you are the tyrant. And Paul is going, that's not true freedom. The true freedom that you're called to is to live into your new body to live into the body of Christ, life with Christ, the life of Jesus. Jesus. True freedom is not only freedom from the bad things, it's freedom to the good things. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, hey, uh, you guys are saying, uh, the Corinthians, you guys are saying like, well, if I'm free, I can just do whatever I want, right? He's going, well, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are good for you. Not all things are going to lead you into a place of life and spaciousness. Some things are going to lead you on a trail that leads to hurt and pain and death. I love the uh, old Bob Dylan quote, you're going to have to serve somebody, right? God, is that you and I were made to worship, made to be oriented to other things, even if that thing becomes ourself. And ultimately, the one that you and I were made to serve is God. Worship is where true freedom is found. Not just the music we sing on Sunday, but a life that's in a posture of devoted love to the God who has first loved us. The choice is not between one master or no master. It is a choice between which master. And the master that you and I were made for is Jesus. He's a good one. (laughs) The best one. He's the best master. He's going to love us. He's going to care for us. He's going to lay down his life for us. He's going to pour his very life and presence and spirit into us. He's going to lift us up from the ashes, destruction that often we have made, or the ashes of destruction that others have made of us, he's going to raise us with him out of the waters into new life in him. To kind of wrap up here, you know, I found, um, I think you see this often, like, just kind of recap these three movements, and I think Paul's going, three ways to freedom. First thing is to attend your own funeral. Oh, man. That old self that wanted to live apart from God is gone. Second thing is to recognize you've been transplanted like an organ into a new body, the body of Christ. And the third thing is to live into your new body, your new identity, the life of Jesus within the body of Christ. And I think we see this reality. This means freedom. Uh, I've seen this over the years when I talk with people who have come 
to faith, you've come to know Christ, that often before faith, you hear people when they talk about God, and it tends to be like, man, life on my own, it is so freeing, it is so liberating, like, I get to do what I want, this is so great, and life with God, like, that just looks like restricting, constrictive, oppressive, liberate, why the heck would I want to go to that? This is where freedom is found. And time and time again, you find with the conversion of belief comes a conversion of the heart, a conversion of perspective, where now you talk to the same people five years down the road, and they're looking back going, man, that life before that I lived on my own, it was small, it was constrained, it was restrictive, it was confined, it was enslaving, it was oppressive, I was my own tyrant. And now life with Christ, I am alive, I am free. There's room to breathe. It's spacious in here. Glade freshener going out and I don't like glade, I don't know. But it's like, it smells good, right? Like, this is the aromatic, fragrant land of Jesus, right? Jesus wants to bring us out. He wants to bring us out of external oppression into freedom, and he wants to bring us out of internal oppression where we th- seek to be our own ruler into the freedom of a life where he is our ruler, he is our king, he is the one who gives us life. It is in his body that we receive, like that organ, we start to receive fresh blood pumping through us, fresh oxygen, bringing out whatever it is we do, right? And you don't become less of yourself, you become more of yourself in him. The new self that he wants to raise you into is greater than the old self that he put to death, The part of you that lived under the lie and was submerged is nothing compared to the new you that he wants to bring out as it's his life, his breath, his presence that reanimates you and brings you back into the identity and the destiny that you were created for. And so as we come to the table this morning, we come to Christ's body broken for us and Christ's blood shed for us. And this is an invitation to freedom. This is an invitation to this freedom that is found at a funeral, right? A funeral table. This is the table of Christ who died for us, was united with us in order to raise us with him. So as you come and feast upon the life of Christ this morning, as we come to him, we come to the one who goes, dude, I ain't Pharaoh, like who's going to oppress you but I am also not, what's the word? I don't know, you know, the the parent that's just absentee parent checked out where you just go do what you want, right? Like, I'm your king who loves you. Come enter under me, with me, life with me, and let me begin to redefine and shape for you what true life and true freedom really looks like. It's not just a freedom to do what you want. Well, it is in one way. It's, it's the freedom to have what you want transformed and so that you want what I want because what I want is for your good and for God's glory. And so we come this morning to offer our desires to him and have God shape and transform our desires and our heart that, that we experience the true freedom now that what we most fully want is Jesus and to have his life lived in us and through us into his world. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you 
that you are a king who does not oppress us from the outside, and you are a king who does, uh, does not abandon us to live from our own tyranny on the inside, but rather, God, you are a king who has come for us and calls us to the freedom of being bound in union with life with you, not in independence, but in interdependence, God. I pray this morning, God, that we would attend our own funeral, Lord, that we would look at the casket of our old self, that if there are pieces of that old self that still kind of have their clutches in us, God, maybe it's that relationship this morning, maybe it's that question that's hanging over our head, maybe it's that, that thing that we desire that we know you said, hey, seek me first and trust me for what comes. God, I pray that we could leave that in the casket this morning. As we come to the table, God, we could place those things at your feet, God. And Lord, we declare our gratefulness that as we walk away from the table, as we walk away from the casket, that you have transplanted us, not into autonomous, isolated individuals, but you have grafted us into your body, that you have made us a part of your very own life. God, I thank you that you're calling us into that together, God. Israel didn't walk through the Red Sea as a bunch of separate people. They walked through as a people. And so with us, Jesus, you have grafted us not only into life with yourself, but life with each other. God, I pray that we would learn to practice the reality of your life together, that we would lay down our lives for one another, that we would lift up and serve each other, that even in our own differences, even in our own divisions, even in the own things that we carry into our life as a people, the baggage from our surroundings, God, that that your new life would be forming us in union not only with you but with one another, God, as we're transplanted into your body. And finally, God, I pray that we would live into our new body. God, this reality with you as our king, as our head. Lord, that whatever, some of us here this morning, man, are our fingers, some are toes, some are kidneys, some are liver, some are whatever organ, whatever piece of the body we might be, we're all needed, God. We all need one another. And God, we're all valued because you have declared our great value to you. And so I pray, God, that you would be forming us into new selves, which are much greater than the old selves we were ever dreamed. That the old self that got put to death would just look like nothing even desirable compared to the new life as you make us more human, more fully yours, more fully the people that we are created to be in fullness of life with you. Jesus, animate us with your presence. God, bring us into the fullness of resurrection life you have for us. We thank you, God, for your love, your union with us, God, for bringing us into life with you. We declare that is this morning, God, that is where true freedom is found. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.